But the Lord has given us means of helping people in their physical problems. And if people are hungry, it doesn't really mean for us so much to go and pray for them that the Lord will help them to have a full stomach. The Lord intended that we should do something in a practical way to help people, and then they're susceptible. Every son and daughter of God is called to be a missionary. We are called to the service of God and our fellow men, and to fit us for this service should be the object of our education. You see, we're, uh, we're in elementary education, and sometimes I think that we're in adult education. The children are teaching us, but uh, that's about the way it turns out. But the thing is that from our earliest years, we are taught to be selfish. We want to get an education so we can accomplish something. We want to learn to read so we can be of greater service. We want to get an education so we won't have to work so hard. I mean, everything that we deal with in our whole educational process is not to help us to be of greater service. It's amazing how many people are ambitious and want something real great and they're spending their time on it, getting to the place where they reach higher states of, of uh, prosperity usually. But Jesus, who was the Son of God, was willing to work for 30 years in a carpenter shop because that was his Father's will for him. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what he was going to go through before he came to this earth. You all know that, don't you? Well, maybe it would be good to rehearse it because Jesus was our example. And there are two statements in the Desire of Ages. And one is page 147. You know, somebody came to Jesus and told him that, that Herod was going to do something to him. And he said, uh, you go tell that fox that my hour hasn't come yet. Well, that's a very interesting statement. My hour hasn't come yet. And here's the comment on it. The words, mine hour is not yet come, point to the fact that every act of Christ's life on earth was in fulfillment of the plan that had existed from the days of eternity. Before he came to earth, the plan lay out before him, perfect in all its details. But as he walked among men, he was guided step by step by the Father's will. He did not hesitate to act at the appointed time. With the same submission, he waited until the time had come. And on page uh, 410, 147. This is 2410. Now, I, I'm reading this because we've discussed this so much. But it's so hard for us to really believe it or grasp it. That God has outlined our lives for us. And we have to find his will and he wants to teach us his will. He wants to lead us in the way he wants us to go. But it's so hard for us to come to the place where we don't say, well, you know, the Lord gave us a, a mind and, and, you know, we have to figure all this thing out. Well, he did give us a mind. But he wants our, our mind to be the fulfillment of his mind, the carrying out of his mind, because uh, we aren't able to direct our lives. There are too many things that are before us. You see, he knew everything. In fact, he, was, he inspired the prophets to write the things that he'd need to use when he was on earth. Knowing that he would need these words, and of course they're for us too. Well, it says, The work of Christ on earth was hastening to a close. Before him, in vivid outline, lay the scenes whither his feet were tending. Even before he took humanity upon him, he saw the whole length of the path he must travel in order to save that which was lost. Every pang that rent his heart, 
every insult that was heaped upon his head, every privation that he was called to endure, was open to his view before he laid aside his crown and royal robe and stepped down from the throne to close his, clothe his divinity with humanity. The path from the manger to Calvary was all before his eyes. He knew the anguish that would come upon him. He knew it all, and yet he said, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I'm real glad the Lord, yeah. 147 and 410. You see, uh, I'm real glad that you and I don't know everything that's, that's going to happen from here to the end of our lives. Uh, we would just be simply overwhelmed, and this is why he only, this is why he can only reveal it to us a very short time beforehand, because he has to condition us for it. But he was willing to do that, and uh, this state, other statement from Ministry of Healing we have we've read this many times, and it's. Uh, What is it, 140? I have a hard time remembering some of these pages sometimes. Well, anyway, the statement says that Christ counted not heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. Christ counted not heaven a place to be desired uh, we were lost. thought it was 147, but I got it mixed. What's that? Uh, 105? Well, good. I'm glad somebody can remember uh, some of these things. I get some of my pages mixed up sometimes. All right, that's right. Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. Knowing all the things that he went, that he was to go through, he was willing to go through it because he wanted to save human beings. You know, uh, we don't know much about that kind of love, do we? Yes. Like that? Well, of course he missed heaven, but he couldn't enjoy heaven knowing why. Isn't this what the isn't this what the parable of the lost sheep teaches? There were 99 sheep safe in the fold, but one was lost. And so what did he do? He went out. And he searched till he found the sheep. And it says that the one sheep was more precious in his eyes than all of the 99 that were safe. You see, uh, this, was what, this was what brought his love. See, it's, it's our great need that his love responds to. Of course, he, he loves us, but uh, this is true about parents, especially mothers. You know, in, in many families, we have what we call a black sheep. And uh, it isn't because the parents don't love them, but there's just... And in fact, they, they, uh, they love them, I think, especially those that are in that condition. So... We, in order for us to do missionary, to, to have a missionary training, we must have an understanding of, of what our work is. And it's not just a duty. It's something that we're impelled to do if we are really converted. There's a burden there that we just can't get away from. Now, there, this chapter uh, is it's full of many interesting statements. And it tells about how children should be trained from the very earliest years to live to be a blessing. Yes. Oh. Life is mysterious and sacred. This is 397. It is the manifestation of God Himself, the source of all life. Precious, precious are its opportunities, and earnestly should they be improved. Once lost, they're gone forever. You know, uh, death is pretty... It's just pretty permanent, that's all. In my life, I have 
been brought in contact with dead people. I've seen so many people die. I've, uh, I've been with them when they died. And this is a horrible situation. And uh, especially when people come to the realization that they're dying and there's nothing they can do about it. And particularly if they don't, if they don't have a hope in the, in the future. And a, a person could be the richest person in the world. But they would, get every, they would give everything they have for just a few more breaths. And life is, it's important, it's vital, and it's short. And, of course, we have a, a responsibility. And if we live close to Him and, and understand His guidance in our lives, then He's going to bring us just to those people that need help just at the right time. Before us, God places eternity with its solemn realities and gives us a grasp on immortal, imperishable themes. He presents valuable, ennobling truth that we may advance in the safe and sure path in pursuit of an object worthy of the earnest engagement of all our capabilities. And this paragraph is such a... These are just such tremendous truths, so simple. God looks into the tiny seed that he himself has formed and sees wrapped within it the beautiful flower, the shrub, or the lofty, wide-spreading tree. So does he see the possibilities in every human being. You remember the statement in Desire of Ages? I think I read it here. I don't remember if I did or not, but it's page 606. And I tell you, it just the first time I read it, it really shocked me. The 606. God counts the things that are not as though they are. He what? He sees the end from the beginning and beholds the result of his work as though it were now accomplished. The precious dead, from Adam down to the last saint who dies, will hear the voice of the Son of God and will come forth from the grave to immortal life. God will be their God, and they shall be his people. There will be a close and tender relationship between God and the risen saints. This condition which is anticipated in his purpose, he beholds as if it were already existing. God sees us already in his kingdom. Isn't that something? So does he see the possibilities in every human being. We are here for a purpose. God has given us his plan for our life. And he desires us to reach the highest standard of attainment. He desires that we shall be constantly growing in holiness, in happiness, in usefulness. Yeah? I'm reading from... from, from uh, Ministry of Healing now, this chapter, True Education and Missionary Training, 398. The highest of all sciences is the science of soul saving. What is the highest of all science? The greatest work to which human beings can aspire is the work of winning men from sin to holiness. For, this, for the accomplishment of this work, a broad foundation must be laid. A comprehensive education is needed. Now notice what it says about Jesus. Jesus secured his education in the home. But that's too simple. I had a woman talk to me one time. I've had a lot of women, uh, mothers talk to me. And, and uh, she sat and she said, well, you know, I appreciate the training. I think this is a really, uh, I think this is really a wonderful ex experience. I think the young people here have a good experience. But she says, uh, I want my son to amount to something. And we were sitting on the Davenport, and she had a boy about 12 years old, I guess, and he was sitting over there with a baseball mitt in one hand and a ball in the other. And he was sitting there throwing the ball into his mitt, you know, pop, pop, 
pop while we were talking and and we were about in the middle of our conversation and he looked up and said, say buddy, where's your baseball diamond? Well now, this is all right. I mean, I... But isn't it a tragedy that we have gold so low? God wants human beings to be members of His family and be teachers of His love and His character for all eternity. And we like to play tiddlywinks. Yes. Well, there's a statement in Volume 5. I'm not sure if I can find it. But it's... uh, if I can turn to it, it's a very, it's a very startling statement. Look it up. It says Satan is buying souls very cheap. Can you read that statement. It's in the first part of uh, Volume 5. I guess I don't have the page down here, but it's... I wish I could find it, because what do you think he's, what do you think he's buying them for? Have any idea? I know, but what do you think? He, what is the thing that says he's paying for them? Well, it says, the world's applause, money, appetite, fashion, the desire for our own way. These are the things that and, and the devil gives us that. And uh, huh. well, I could turn right to it, but I don't see it. Well, maybe this is something for you to look up if you're interested. It's in the first part of uh, Volume Five. But we don't—we aren't interested so much in the negative. Jesus secured his education in the home. His mother was his first human teacher. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. He lived in a peasant's home and faithfully and cheerfully acted his part in bearing the household burdens. He who had been the commander of heaven was a willing servant, a loving, obedient son. He learned a trade and with his own hands worked in a carpenter shop with with Joseph. In the garb of the common labor, he walked the streets of the little town, going to and fro from his humble work. I had the privilege of visiting Nazareth. I suppose it's somewhat like it was then. And I'll tell you, it's a pretty pretty scrubby-looking place. They have no sewer system. The, the streets are made of rock, stone, and the animals and the people walk up and down and they have a little gutter along each side where it rains and the water runs down, all the refuse runs down. And I suppose it's something like it was when Jesus was there. It's just a pretty... Uh, if we had to live, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen... <clears throat> well, I've never seen a, uh, a place anywhere in America that, that was as bad as it was. Well, I suppose maybe the slums might be worse, but you don't you don't you don't see as much. I mean, there, it's just a it's just a pretty dismal looking place. And Jesus walked up and down the streets, going to and from his work. With the people of that age, the value of things was estimated by outward show. As education, as religion had declined in power, it had de- increased in pomp. The educators of the time sought to command respect by display and ostentation. 
To all this, the life of Jesus presented a marked contrast. His life demonstrated the worthlessness of those things that men regarded as life's great essentials. The schools of his time were their magnifying of things small and their belittling of things great. He did not seek. His education, I think you've heard this before. We read this from education. We haven't read it from Ministry of Healing. His education was gained from heaven-appointed sources, from useful work, from the study of the Scriptures and from nature, and from the experiences of life. God's lesson books full of instructions to all full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand the seeing eye and the understanding heart and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him thus prepared isn't that isn't that quite a preparation thus prepared he never sat at the feet of any of the world's great men but he sat at the feet of his father. Thus prepared, he went forth in every moment of his contact with men, exerting upon them an influence to bless, a power to transform such as the world had never witnessed. You've all heard that uh, little, well, it isn't a poem. This, this is page 400 of Ministry of Healing. I was just thinking about uh, this. I guess I have it in my Bible. I have my Bible and my commentary, all of the pages written in. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop till he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never had an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of those things one usually, usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When he was only 33, he was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave to the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone. And today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. You see, uh, he knew what true greatness was because he came to demonstrate as a human being what God would do as a human being. Not what God would do as the Creator, or not what God would do as the ruler of the universe, but what God would do as a human being. So if you want to know how, how God would demonstrate humanity, how He would be in humanity, where do we look? We look at Christ. And from His earliest years, He was possessed of but one purpose. He lived to bless others. Well, here's something very interesting that We've been discussing in our in our teachers' uh, devotions. Let the youth advance as far and as fast as they can in acquisition of knowledge. Let their field of study be as broad as their powers can compass. And as they learn, let them impart that knowledge. It was the, it is thus that their minds will acquire discipline and power. It is the use they make of the knowledge that determines the value of their education. It's what? It isn't how much you know. It's what? What do you do with it? What do we use it for? To spend a long time in study...
with no effort to impart what is gained often proves a hindrance rather than a help to real development. In both the home and the school, it should be the student's effort to learn how to study and how to impart the knowledge gained. Whatever his calling, he is to be both a learner and a teacher while life shall last. We're to be what? Learners and teachers. We do not have anything until we impart it. It, do, it isn't really ours. We don't really believe it. This is page 402. Do you remember we read from Christ's object lessons this very same, this very same statement? If we could just realize that it isn't how much we know, it's what we do with what we know that is of vital importance. You remember the, the person who had the one talent and he hid it? And what did the Lord, what did the Lord tell him when he came? He said, I knew you were a hard man, so I did what? I buried it. He who refuses to impart that which he has received will at last find that he has nothing to give. Well, what? Well, we... He is consenting to a process that surely dwarfs and finally destroys the faculties of the soul. Did you ever know anyone that had just learned a wonderful truth and learned to know the Lord and they just they could give a testimony that they didn't have much to say but it just thrilled you when you heard it and somebody else that knew all the answers and, and uh, they could just tell you everything but you go to sleep while they're doing it. Oh, it's a difference. You see, it has to go through us. And it becomes a part of us when we impart it. Christ's Object Lesson 363. This is, a, this is a tremendous truth that we must really understand. And, and uh, maybe you folks think I'm, I'm just pressing the issue. I, I think we ought to have something to share every time we meet together. Something we've learned. If we don't share it, you know what happens? We lose it. It's only as we give it we keep it. And I've told you my experience, and this has happened to me several times. I try not to let it happen too often. But this happened several times. I was in Michigan. I was there many years, and I used to have a lot of worships. And in fact, I used to have ten meetings every week and used to have worship every morning and then prayer meeting and Friday night vespers and Sabbath service for years. And besides doing all the work that needed to be done, that had to be done. And the only way you can keep up in this program is the Lord has to wake you up in the morning. And several times I've, uh, and I, I've never forgot the experience but I forgot what happened. The Lord has waked me up early in the morning and something real special. Oh, it was just such a wonderful and I said, well, you know, that's so good. I've got to wait till more people get together and give it to them. I, you know, I don't want to give it to just a few people. That's just too good to give to a few people. And you know what's happened every time I've said that? I forgot it and I have the slightest idea what it was all about. I know it was wonderful, but I don't know what it was. If you want to keep what you give, what you get, you share it with somebody. This is life. And if we would do that all the time, can you imagine what would happen if everybody was sharing with each other what what we received? Well, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen to the people who, who finish God's work. Well, the next section of this is the essential knowledge. These are all tremendous chapters. There's, there was... Uh, a knowledge of God is the foundation of all true education, of all true service. What is? Knowledge of God. And I was reading this morning, I, uh, I read these chapters this morning, uh, I'd, I'd read them before, but I, I woke up this morning and I was reading them. And uh, this, there's a chapter in here 
danger in speculative knowledge. And I just there's a statement here that just really shocked me as I read it. And it was telling about training for service. See if I can find it. Maybe it was a false and true in education. Yeah, it was. Well, it was on farther. False and true in education. This whole section on education. It says, as a preparation for Christian work, many think it essential to acquire an extensive knowledge of historic and the- historical and theological writings. They suppose that this knowledge will be an aid to them in the teaching of the gospel. But their laborious study of the opinions of men tends to the enfeebling of their ministry rather than to its strengthening. As I see libraries filled with ponderous volumes of historical and theological lore, I think, why spend money for that which is not bread? The sixth chapter of John tells us more than can be found in such works. What does? Do you, remember the, do you remember a statement that I read here one time? What was it? Volume 7? Page, what's that? Well, I was reading this from 441. All this is from Ministry, Ministry of Healing. I was just thinking about this. Uh, oh, it was 71. Well, I've read this before, but you know, if we don't, uh, if we don't share these things, if I don't use them, I just forget them. This is my problem. I, if I keep using them, I remember them. I remember where they are. Yes. This is volume seven, page seventy-one. One sentence of scripture is of more value than ten thousand of man's ideas or arguments. One what? Then how many? 10,000 of man's ideas or arguments. Well, don't we, haven't we wasted a lot of time in education? One what? Sentence. And this says, the sixth chapter of John is better than all the knowledge you can get from all these volumes in the library. We are right in contact with the greatest source of knowledge here we have the Bible, we have the Spirit of Prophecy, we have, we have truth that doesn't have to be sifted. Pure, winnowed grain. The mastermind in the confederacy of evil is ever working to keep out of sight the words of God and to bring into view the opinions of man. What's he trying to do? He means that we shall not hear the voice of God saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. Through perverted educational processes, He is doing His utmost to obscure heaven's life. Light. Through what? Through perverted educational processes. And I just noticed this statement. We are in need of schools where the youth shall be taught that greatness consists in honoring, honoring God by revealing His character in daily life. Through his word and his works, we need to learn of God that our lives may fulfill his purpose. I read this. I'm just skipping around here because uh, this is all in the section on education. Okay. This is page 415. I thought maybe I'd get you to read it. How many of you ever look at your notes? Oh, do you? Well, good. (laughs) Well, uh, put your notes away and look at what you don't have on your notes. (laughs) Every time I read a book again, the things that I have marked don't impress me near as much as the things I haven't marked. Have you had anything noticed that? Huh? Did you know that? Yes. Well, good. That's all I ever hope to do in this class is to stimulate people to get something for themselves. You won't ever remember what you get here. I know that. 
I've been a teacher too long. I know people don't remember. In fact, I don't even remember what I gave last time myself. How would I expect you to remember? That's why we have to get it every day. You see, my stomach gets real empty from yesterday's dinner. Does yours? Well, it's the same way spiritually. We have to get it every day. There is no other way. We are partakers of the divine nature through the Word, through inspiration. That's the only way we get it. We don't get it by asking for it. Now, we, get, we have to ask, but we also have to do what? We have to seek. That's right. Well, I was just thinking about creation, you know, about God. You know, we, we have such a faint uh, ideas of God. And I read this before, but uh, you don't remember, so I'll read it again. <laughs> In fact, I don't remember myself. You know, I, I, I'm not talking to you folks because I think you're dumb. I just talk to you that I know you're just like I am. Because I read something one day and I can't find where I left off the next day. Unless I mark it good. And I know you're the same way. It doesn't make that much impression on me. So I just have to keep beating it in and beating it in and beating it in. Because it just doesn't make that much impression. Am I talking a foreign language to you? We just have to keep doing it. And that's all I hope to do in this class is just to inspire somebody to study because it's only as we get it for ourselves because after all in this class I'm just eating and you're watching me. That's all. Really. And you say, my, that tastes good, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Smells good, okay. That smells good. Tell me where in the cupboard it is. But there are a lot of other things in the cupboard, too, you know. Maybe you should get your own dish. Everybody doesn't like beans, you know. Some people like millet and sprouted alfalfa and all kinds of things. In the creation of the earth, God was not indebted to pre-existing matter. You remember that? He spake and it was. He commanded and it stood fast. All things, material or spiritual, stood up before the Lord Jehovah at His voice and were created for His own purpose. You see, unless we understand and believe that God is a creator of something out of nothing, we're never going to have faith that He can do anything with us because that's what He's doing all the time, isn't it? Really, isn't that what He's doing? He has to make something out of nothing. We have nothing to offer, only uh, something he needs to get rid of. All things, material or spiritual, stood up before the Lord Jehovah his voice and were created for his own purpose. The heavens and all the hosts of them, the earth and all things therein, came into existence by the breath of his mouth. In the creation of man was manifest the agency of a personal God. God had made man in his image. The form was perfect in all its arrangements, but it was without life. Then a personal, self-existing God breathed into that form the breath of life, and man became a living, intelligent being. You see, God breathes life. Evidently, the breath of life is... Uh, has to do with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it works, and I, uh, I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into philosophical uh, thinking. It just says that that's what happened. It says in, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then He what did He do? He began to put all this material in under law. That's what the six days of creation were, putting all this matter under law. And the last thing he put under law was man made out of the dust of the earth. And, and, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. All parts of the human organism were set in action. The heart, 
the arteries, the veins, the tongue, the hands, the feet, the senses, the faculties of the mind, all began their work and were placed under law. Man became a living soul. Through Christ, the Word, a personal God, created man and endowed him with intelligence and power. Our substance was not hid from him when we were made in secret. His eyes saw our substance, yet being imperfect, and in his book all our members were written, when as yet there was none of them. What does God have up there? Has a book that has our whole life in it. And I think I told you that the greatest thing we have is to say, let's cooperate with him and not let him push us around all the time. You know, let's, let's get together and do it willingly. And then this statement that uh, I really, I guess I've used this probably more than any statement of Spirit of Prophecy is... Uh, Page 417 of Ministry of Healing. The mechanism of the human body cannot be fully understood. It presents mysteries that baffle the most intelligent. It is not the result of a mechanism which once set in motion continues its work that the pulse beats and heart follows breath. In God we live and move and have our being. The beating heart, the throbbing pulse, every nerve and muscle in the living organism is kept in order and activity by the power of an ever-present God. The Bible shows us God in his high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 of holy beings all waiting to do his will. By these messengers he is in active communication with every part of his dominion. By his spirit he is everywhere present. Through the agency of his spirit and his angels he ministers to the children of men. Above the distractions of earth, he sits enthroned. All things are open to his divine survey. What, it, what are? All things. How many? All things. Past, present, future? Oh, yes. It's not today. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday with him. It's now. That's why we've discussed that. That's why he's called I Am. He doesn't have to change. Why should he change? He knows everything from the beginning. When I do something, he's not surprised. Maybe he's pained sometimes, but he's not surprised. Above the distractions of earth, God sits enthroned. All things are open to his divine survey. And from his great and calm eternity... He orders that which his providence sees best. Have, you, did all, have all of you learned this? Good. Then you'll never have to grumble again. There's a difference between knowing it by memory and knowing it by heart. If we believed that, really, wouldn't it, wouldn't it do something? He orders that what? I, it doesn't look best to me a lot of times. But his mind and my mind don't work together. And so somebody's going to have to change. Who do you think that's going to be? Yeah. What's that? All right, but there's always a whale there to catch us. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, I imagine a lot of us go on whale rides. <laughs> and it's not as it's not as nice as a boat ride. Jonah said the the weeds got around his neck and said he was three days in hell. I don't imagine it was... I imagine it was a real rough ride. I imagine that, that whale may have taken him all over, the, all over the ocean. I don't know. He probably got seasick. At least he was there for three days and three nights. That's a long time to be in that slimy place. 
but at least he was in the whale. And the whale vomited him up on dry land. And, and do you have any idea where he, probably, where he would undoubtedly have, have vomited him up? The closest place to Nineveh he could get. <laughs> Don't you think he did? Because he was running from Nineveh. <laughs> and he took a ship to Tarshish. You know where that is. That's the other end of the ocean. I mean the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. That's the farthest you can get. And I, I'm sure that the, that the whale took him as close as he'd get my water to Nineveh. I'd be sure of that. But you see, isn't the Bible full of experiences where people have turned away from the Lord and the Lord didn't forsake them? He just followed through, picked them up where they were, and went on. Of course, it's painful. But it isn't any more painful than, than, than it has to be because of our stubbornness. You remember the statement? God has made provision that we may become like unto Him. And He will do this for all who do not interpose a perverse will and thus frustrate His grace. And he, uh, we detour. He brings us back. But uh, above the distractions of earth, God sits enthroned. There's something very significant. He can sit and look at all this. All things are open to his divine survey. And from his great and calm eternity, he orders that which his providence sees best. Ellen G. White made the statement. Now, I, I can't give you the proof of this. I've heard it from several sources. She said, of all the things that God had ever given her, this was the most precious statement. Yeah. This? 417, Ministry of Healing. What's that? Yeah. Most precious statement that God had ever given her. Above the distractions of earth, God sits enthroned. All things are open to His divine survey. And from His great and calm eternity... You see, uh, this takes away... Now, it doesn't mean that, that we're, we're not going to feel bad if we do wrong, but it takes away that terrible sting of how we have surprised and hurt God. What are you doing already? And he's already made provision for it. Have you ever read the statement, in every way and every difficulty, he has already prepared the way to bring relief? Well, maybe I, let's see if we can find that. I don't know. I, I'm always quoting things, you know, that I... What? Really, how many statements would it take to save us? How many, how many words of God would it take to save us, really? Isn't it amazing how many we have that we don't do anything about? You know, it says the heathen who have such little knowledge are in a better relation to God than we are, who, we who have so much light that don't do anything about it. It isn't how much we know that's the... That's the real thing. Well, isn't that interesting? It's right here in Ministry of Healing. I haven't gotten that far. I've read the Ministry of Healing. Uh, page 481. We'll be into this pretty quick. This is over in the Help and Daily Living. So I'll just give you a little preview. Four eighty one, there are many whose hearts are aching under a load of care because they seek to reach the world standard. What's the problem? They have chosen its service, accepted its perplexities, adopted its customs. Thus their characters marred and their life made a weariness. The continual worry is wearing out the life forces. Our Lord desires them to lay aside this yoke of bondage. Well we don't know how. But he's going to help us. 
He's going to turn the clock around one of these days so we can do it. He's going to remove a lot of the things we're having problems with. Our Lord desires them to lay aside this yoke of bondage. This is also in the chapter in Desire of Ages, uh, the invitation. This is, uh, uh, this is the same, uh, same quotation. He invites them to accept His yoke. He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future. But Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, He has His way prepared to bring relief. In what? It's already taken care of. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. And this statement, of course, we've all read it and forgotten it a thousand times. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Now, if I've got three or four, He has a thousand more. He has a thousand ways that what? We know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Now, it doesn't say their difficulties will vanish. It says what? Their perplexities will vanish. We can be in difficulties without being perplexed. Because in every difficulty he has already, what? Made plans for the taking care of it. Well, we got a little ahead. Uh, our assignment for we have two more classes. And we're going to, our last two classes will be in this section, Help in Daily, called The Worker's Need. I just want to read the, the last paragraph in Education. Uh, I mean, just a little, uh, let's go back to 465 if you have the book. Let the student take the Bible as his guide and stand for principle, and he may aspire to any height of attainment. To what? Any height of attainment. Then, over on the page... 466, the soul dwelling in the atmosphere of, dwelling in the pure atmosphere of holy thought is transformed by intercourse with God through the study of His Word. Truth is so large, so far-reaching, so deep, so broad, that self is lost sight of. The heart is softened and subdued into humility, kindness, and love. And the natural powers are enlarged because of holy obedience. From the study of the Word of Life, Students may come forth with their minds expanded, elevated, and ennobled. Now the last paragraph. Our life work here is the preparation for the life eternal. The education begun here will not be completed in this life. It will be going forward through all eternity, ever progressing, never completed. I had a point come to me. I think I mentioned this. Oh, he was really worried. He said, Brother Martin, I just don't understand it. He says, I'm really worried. How do you think that it will come a time when I won't ever learn anything anymore? I said, don't. <laughs> you don't need to be concerned. There's enough. Haven't you already learned that there's so many things you can't learn that it's just impossible to even begin to grasp them? Remember that we will ever learn and there will ever be an infinity beyond. And the more we learn of God, the more intense will be our happiness, it says. The more we know God, the more we become like Him, and the more we, will ha the more we have capacity to know, the more we'll have capacity to love and capacity for happiness. More and more fully will be revealed the wisdom and love of God in the plan of redemption. The Savior, as He leads His children to the fountains of living water, will import rich stores of knowledge and day by day the wonderful works of God, the evidence of His power in creating and sustaining the universe will open before the mind a new beauty. In the light that shines from the throne, mysteries will disappear and the soul will be filled with astonishment at the simplicity of things which were never before comprehended. See, one of my goals is I want to go through the sun sometime and see what makes it hot. I have a, I have a real curiosity. I want to learn a lot of things. And uh, I 
There the grandest enterprises may be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations reached, the highest ambitions realized, and still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, fresh objects to call forth the body and the mind and the soul. This is the last chapter of Great Controversy. All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed, unfettered by mortality. Earth-born children wing their tireless flight to worlds afar. We're all going to be space people. Only we're not going to have to have spaceships or spacesuits. Well, our time is up. We're going to, next two lessons, next two classes, we're going to have the last section, the workers need. We'd like to pray tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.